0: Hey, this is the Eric Bowling Podcast. I'm here with Alinda McLaughlin. Really, really good to have you. Glad you joined us. I want to thank our sponsor, Allegiance Gold, who are always, always spot on with everything that's going on in the markets, it with inflation and everything, everything we need to know with assets. In the meantime, folks, you know, we're on the verge of a full-blown war in the Middle East. Do you know what happens in war? Even the threat of war. Stocks, they get decimated. They decline, which is bad news for your IRA and your 401k. Recently, our own Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the U.S. can afford supporting two wars. Did you hear that? Janet Yellen says, oh, things are great. No problem. Let's support another war. No problem. Well, guess what? Israel and Ukraine, guess what? That's going to cost you. It's going to cost the market. The world is watching. How can we afford that? Our government has spent and continues to spend billions upon billions to help fund foreign wars and humanitarian aid, pushing us into so much debt that our debt has been downgraded for the first time ever. Our debt is downgraded. U.S. debt is less than perfect. Think about that, folks. See, the real war is against your wealth. Listen closely. You may love gold or you may hate it. I don't know. But take it from me, you need it. You need it in your portfolio and you need it now. Gold protects your retirement and allows you to have profit potential. Gold is a shield, a store of value, an insurance policy on your wealth from war and from all these economic uncertainties and an overzealous government that loves to spend your money, putting us further in debt. In addition to war, we're faced with Biden's disastrous inflationary fiscal policies, the Fed raising rates who haven't seen that, printing more money just to stay afloat recent job cuts, increased bankruptcy filings and not to mention ah oh, the R word, recession on its way. This war is upon us, attacking our wealth and what we've worked so hard for. The government we're not looking out for you. We need you to look out for yourself. We need us to look out for ourselves. Protect your retirement, invest in gold, but do it only With the most trusted name in gold, Allegiance Gold, the only gold company I trust to protect my IRA. Allegiance Gold has earned the highest trust rating in the precious metals industry and, like me, is truly interested in building a long-term relationship. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit ProtectWithEric.com today. Give them a call at 844-714-ERIC, E-R-I-C. That's 844-714-3742. Don't wait. Protect your retirement today. Call 844-714-ERIC and speak with one of Allegiance Gold's experts. They'll answer all your questions, help you protect what you've worked so hard for by getting you on the right financial path. The time is now, folks. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwitheric.com. Or call 844-714-ERIC.
1: We all fall into one of two camps. There are those that believe Bidenomics is the way forward. And the rest of us who think that's a load of horse (coughs) You want to hear what really great economic ideas sound like? Want to see America back on the road to energy independence? Are you ready to say hell no to illegal immigrants and foreign nationals having any say in our prosperity? then you, my friend, are in the right place. This is the Eric Bowling
0: Podcast. All right, here we go. Welcome back to the uh, Eric Bowling Podcast. And a uh, special guest today, actually very special guest, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is just tearing it up on, on the debate stages and, and others. Um, v- Vivek, really good to have you. Appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. And, and these types of things really kind of shows how you understand the media more than most of the other people on that stage that we watched the other night. Podcasting is it, man. It's, it's, you know, c- legacy media is on its way out and, and, and digital is, is, is taking over. It's a little bifurcated and, 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 you know, like a pond, not very deep yet, but certainly wide. Um, but so this is, this is how you reach the people. I appreciate your time. So Vivek, uh, if, if I can, I just would love your post-debate reaction from the folks, from the people. And you had some zingers, and we'll talk about that, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, I was pretty unrestrained on the debate stage. I think I'm going to stay that way for the rest of this campaign. People across this country appreciated that. The establishment media did not, because they were among those that were called out. The establishment Republican Party did not, because they were among those called out. And the establishment Democrat Party, of course, did not either, because they were among those called out. And so, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I think unsparing about speaking hard truths that other candidates are not willing to engage with. And I think that's what's differentiated this campaign. But it's also what we need to restore in the leadership of our country, speaking the truth, doing it, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. And yeah, you know, that's how, uh, how I think we're going to revive this country.
0: You know, you made some great points in, in, in the comment about, Rana, and we'll we'll dig into that a little bit. The comment about Rana stepping down because the party has kind of, I guess, passed the RNC. In other words, it's become more conservative, more America first versus the establishment. And Rana it certainly represents the establishment, no question about that. You can't deny it. What's her second middle name? Uh, uh, Romney, right? Isn't it? Is it a Romney? Yeah. Anyway, yep. um. So so yeah, though it, it was amazing. Uh, tell us, you know, I, actually, I, I, I'm, I'm cheating because I know actually what went into it. But tell us how that moment came about.
1: Well, I think uh, the moment came about where let's just go rewind to what happened at the yet again disastrous election results. I mean, Ronnie McDaniel took over in 2017 as chairwoman of the RNC. She oversaw a Republican Party that lost elections in 2018, in 2020. In 2022, no red wave, and 2023 got trounced. So I believe in accountability, and that spans multiple presidential administrations, multiple different majorities or minorities. In Congress versus not, my belief is accountability is a must. And so I, in the debate stage, I, that was happened literally the night before we had that debate, I said, Ron, if you want to come up here and look the American people in the eye and the GOP voter base in the eye and tell them you resign— I'll yield my time to you to do it because the Republican party has become a party of losers. And that did not land well with her. <laughs> but I think that she inadvertently happened to prove my point when over the course of the debate, according to press reports uh, that have been since been published, at least according to the people sitting next to her, she was booing while I was speaking at other points in the debate. It's an interesting thing for a supposedly neutral arbiter, a chairwoman of a party to be able to be doing during a supposedly neutral platform of hosting those Republican debates, said to others in the area that I would not get another cent of RNC money, almost proving my point about the corruption, which is the fact that if you're a fiduciary of other people's money, that you are using a personal vendetta as a deciding factor for who does and doesn't get the RNC's Funding. And then I think, you know, shamelessly the next day, I mean, this one I can just factually tell you is false and do public records verifiable. Uh, you know, I did not, she says, she said, Vivek voted for Obama. No, I did not. I never in my life have. It's ridiculous. And she went on national TV say, right after she says she's not going to get another cent of funding from the RNC. And right after she is booing while I'm speaking, that's a I would say a dereliction of your duty and proves my exact point about the problem of the cancer within the Republican party, which has become a party of losers and, you know, probably wasting too much time talking about one individual because that's not even the point. The point is that the swamp doesn't just exist in government. It exists in our political
0: parties. We'll we'll, we'll expand it out, but let's stay on it for a minute because it's relevant. I remember I was sitting in the seat, I was sitting in O'Reilly's seat and he was, he was out and I was hosting and, this went down with Trump. Trump was, you know, it was Ryan's Priebus at the head of the RNC. It was Sean Spicer, who was his comms director, and they hated Trump. They basically said the same thing to Trump that that Rana allegedly said about you and to you, that you weren't going to get any financial support. But they also said he wasn't going to get any infrastructure. I mean, maybe the folks don't understand this. money's one thing, but if you have money, it's not the only thing. One of the more valuable assets that the RNC has are, are its email lists and its lists, and its phone lists. And, and if they're not going to share that with Vivek Ramaswamy equally or fairly, equitably, how is it representing the right of center? It it, it, it can't. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think the party's out of touch
1: with its base. I mean, that's the real problem. They're living in a la-la land that is not reality. I mean, we've become accustomed to an, a, a repeated acceptable outcome of losing is not doing the basic kinds of infrastructural things we need in order to succeed to win in the way Democrats are, not competing to win on the axes of how elections are actually being run. And I think it's living in a la-la land, wishing for Nikki Haley, Dick Cheney 2.0 politicians that the donor class that funds the Republican Party is now trying to prop up as their candidate, when in reality, the base of our party, and, and I think of a broader base of our country, Wants leaders who are interested in advancing the interests of Americans, not the interests of some nebulous country on the other side of the world that we're going to send trillions of dollars and thousands of our sons and daughters to go fight for. That, I think, is actually a deeper disconnect in the Republican Party. But the Republican establishment, including the RNC itself, is badly out of touch with that reality.
0: Not only that, Vivek, I I, you know that when when. When Dobbs came up at the Supreme Court, when abortion came up at the Supreme Court, it's clear to me that the RNC at that moment could have been preparing for the fallout that would happen with a win at the Supreme Court level on abortion. And instead they were caught flat footed, whereas the left or the, the, uh, pro choice people were ready and they, they mobilized immediately, immediately calling, you know, Republicans you know, disgusting and they hate women and blah, blah, blah. And they, and they beat the concern. I don't think the conservative, I'm sure I'm conservative. I don't think the Republican party has still to this day put together a, a response to that. I mean, I, I, you know, you can tell us where you stand on it, but, but I'm more concerned why the Republican party has lost all these elections that you point out. And I think a lot of them are because of that issue, that one issue. Yeah, I, I
1: mean, I do think so, but I think that some of is a messaging problem, some of it's a substance issue where we have to also stand for policy prescriptions that stand for, you know, a new idea that I raised on that debate stage that no one else has raised is greater sexual responsibility for men. Put it in the law, require men to assume greater responsibility for the care of their children financially and even non-financially to have to have the obligation to raise the children if a woman decides that's what her decision is at the time of birth of the child. Those are ideas that we in the pro life movement can actually embrace. And I think so, so that, that of, can is a
0: Vivek, are you are you straight up pro life and where is there a time, you know, abortion up to a certain time? Where where do you stand on it?
1: Well, I, I believe I'm running for I mean I'm running for US president and I don't believe the federal government should be legislating here. I'm different than the other candidates because the Constitution doesn't give the federal government that authority. I'm a tenth amendment absolutist. And I think that that itself helps embrace a constitutional principle of federalism that prevents us from dividing the country at the federal level over this. And then at the state level, I favor added policies that allow for paths to access contraception, adoption, child care. And, you know, I think this codification in the law of greater sexual responsibility for men is a lever we have not yet even touched in our pro-life movement that I think helps a lot. And different states need to decide what is the right answer for them. And I would vote for, you know, as, as strong of a pro-life position as we're able to get in whatever state I live in. But this is a matter for the states and to the people. So that's yeah. where I land.
0: Well, that's music to so many people's ears. I'm as a straight-up libert- staunch libertarian. That that's that's what the Republican Party needs, to find that message. It, send it to the states. It's, a, it's an easy answer. And it's real. If you don't like what's going on in your Federalism. state, so – it yeah, exists for a
1: reason. Ahead. It's in our Constitution. Correct. Our founding fathers knew what they were doing. But wait, let's talk a little... Uh, and one one analogy, there, just to bring that home for people, is murder laws exist at the state level. That's where m- murder laws really are. There's not real standard federal murder laws. Well, if murder laws are at the state level and you believe abortion is murder, then be consistent with it and have it regulated
0: at the state. The states, uh, there's so many, so many laws that are federal laws that are ignored by states and, and there's no enforcement of it. This, this becomes a political issue not an abortion issue not, a, not a, a, a care of moms potential moms it's more about politics unfortunately um I, our time is limited so i want to move on to what i guess it's it's the other hot button issue um again libertarian uh ukraine and then let's do israel let's start with ukraine
1: yeah ukraine is a corrupt nation in eastern europe that is not a NATO member. And it is mystifying to me. Well, I I think I know some of the cynical causes for why. But apart from corruption, it is mystifying why the U.S. taxpayer is being asked to fork over hundreds of billions of dollars to a corrupt Eastern European nation that does not advance American interests so that some Ukrainian kleptocrat can buy a bigger house. That's exactly what's happening right
0: now. Let, let, and, let me just stop you. Do you notice? You see, Pete Buttigieg went to Ukraine yesterday and is shaking hands with Zelensky. Also meeting with Alexander Soros. Now, a lot of a lot of speculation there. But if you if you do realize that money's going to Ukraine and all of a sudden Soros is somehow involved in in in, in accessing or, or at least put, butting up to Zelensky, and then you have American politicians. I think Chris Christie went there. Um, also shaking hands, it, it really it begs the question, why and what's going on there? Why did they, why does Pete Buttigieg need to be in
1: Ukraine? I mean, the Secretary of Transportation who can't take care of infrastructure in this country is somehow paying more attention to actually the infrastructure of Ukraine. And I, I think it's offensive. And, and this idea that somehow it's actually going to be in America's national interest to fight this battle of good versus evil assumes that it's even a battle of good versus evil. I mean, Ukraine is a corrupt country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. It's banned the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the largest Christian denomination in Ukraine. Ask conservatives across this country, do you want your taxpayer dollars to be used to ban Christianity? That's effectively what's happening by sending our money to subsidize this behavior in Ukraine, and yet we've been duped, largely by the mainstream media and an establishment wing of both parties, including the Republican Party, into thinking that this is somehow a battle between good and evil. Just because Russia or Putin is a bad actor does not mean Ukraine is good. And I think that that's going to take somebody with the guts to speak it out, to actually point out the details for why. Now, I was the only one saying this in the early phase of this race, that Ukraine war has not aged well. Okay, Eric. And so now the neocon camp is quietly trying to tiptoe their way... Back out of it. It was kind of now, hilarious how to watch much, that at the debate much,
0: stage the other It becomes the neocons are, are now saying, "Hey, Zelensky, how much are you exactly willing to give up so we can end this war? Or we'll give some of your land to Russia and, and, yep. and cut a deal." Or were they 150 billion dollars ago? Five hundred thousand Ukraine dead Ukrainians ago? Totally. Quebec, and, 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 and I think you're allowed to talk
1: about dead Russians too. I, the last time I checked, they still include human beings.
0: Yeah, w- right. But the, 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 the neocons are defending the money based on defending a NATO partner, a potential NATO partner. Um, it, but it shouldn't it, be a potential NATO partner. Say that again.
1: But it shouldn't be a potential NATO partner. I think that's also one of the things that we fail. I mean, this war could have been, I believe, prevented if the US and NATO provided a clear assurance that Ukraine would not be admitted to NATO. Mm-hmm. And that was a mistake that created a costly and destructive war that did not end well for anybody. And, and, that's really the truth of where this stands what's, right now. So I, I favor a peace deal there and call the loss a loss of resources, but don't lose any more and move right. on from this destructive war that does not advance American interests.
0: Jump to the Middle East, Vic, if you don't mind, because it's it's almost a similar situation, good versus evil. And somehow, somehow the American um, I don't, political leftist, political soy boy and girl set has figured out, has, has devised a, a way to make this racial. Like somehow – Uh, Palestinians, Gazans, forget Hamas, even Gazans are minorities, are people of color, and Israelis are somehow white privileged. And it it blows my mind that they've somehow figured out a way to to convince these young people that it's a race, it's a race war. Well, I'll give you one interesting fact on that as we
1: maybe close out to ponder on, Eric, is Sometimes you're now hearing even the rise of the use of the word genocide in reference to what Israel's doing in Gaza. Genocide refers to the elimination of a race of people. So if you're going to if, you know, the left is going to present a lot of this in racialized terms, let's look at it through genocide as a racialized term it refers to the elimination of a race of people systematically. Well, 20 percent of Israel's population is actually Palestinian. Right. It's higher than the black population in the U.S., higher than the Hispanic population in the U.S. And the unspoken truth is that there's probably nowhere on God's green earth that Palestinians live a higher quality of life with greater civil liberties than in Israel itself. Right. And so I do reject this narrative that, you know, forget the word genocide, but even creating a false moral equivalence between what Israel's doing to defend itself versus what Hamas did as a terrorist attacking Israel. And I think it's our job to stand with Israel diplomatically, to allow them to defend themselves in whatever mechanism Israel decides is necessary to defend its own borders. But I also don't want to make the mistake of seeing the United States of America militarily engage when that doesn't advance American interests. And I don't think that actually advances Israel's long-run interests either, is the truth. Israel doesn't need an armchair quarterback but the best way for us to then support Israel is diplomatically rather than through military engagement. And I don't want to see us enter no-win wars for the U.S. involvement that repeat the catastrophes of Afghanistan and Iraq. What
0: about financial? As well. What about financial? What about money? So I
1: think that the U.S. has already supported Israel for years, and I would keep prior commitments. We've already made an annual commitment per year, and so I always believe in keeping prior commitments. But the fact of the matter is, what Israel needs is diplomatic support, you know, and, and the U.S. is a much higher national debt per capita than most of the countries we give foreign aid to, than almost all of the countries we give foreign aid to, actually. And so against that backdrop, I don't think it's in the U.S.'s interest or Israel's interest for us to muddy the water. And then because we then take responsibility for intervening in specifically in this war... To then also then Monday morning quarterback or armchair quarterback what Israel is doing, which is what you're seeing from the current administration, as opposed to say, no, we diplomatically support your right to defend yourself, period. Absolutely, we stand with you. It's what I call a diplomatic iron dome. That's what Israel, that's what helps Israel the most. I think it's most consistent with America first principles here at home for us as well.
0: I know I got to let you go, Vivek, but but before we do this, uh, going forward, what's the right number of GOP candidates not named Donald Trump that should go forward? And you cannot say just one, Vivek. So how many should we be down to and who should it be?
1: Well, look, I think anybody who didn't qualify for that last debate stage should get out. I think anybody who doesn't qualify for the next debate stage in early December should also get out. That automatically thins the field. But I do think it's going to come down to the two America first candidates in this race. That's Donald Trump and myself. And I think the choice for voters will be, do you want a president from the prior generation who has experience or do you want a president who's an America first leader from the next generation to reach the new generation of Americans? And that's what I uniquely bring to the table that nobody else does. And I think that that's what's going to be required personally to really revive this country. And I think I'm the only candidate in this race who can reach that next generation in the way that I do.
0: Well, you're a busy man. We really appreciate your time, Vivek Ramaswamy. Good luck, my friend. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, man. Bye. All right. I want to say thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Eric Bowling Podcast. We will be back with you again very soon with some more really interesting people and great topics. Have a great week, everybody.